Okay, well, we're continuing our uh, journey through the book of Second Chronicles. We're in Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-six tonight. And before we read, let's just look to the Lord and ask His blessing. Father, we thank you so much for all the good things that you do for us, and we thank you that we can come together and and we can read your word. And regardless of where we're reading in your word, I think of a couple scriptures that just, as I was doing this study, just jumped out at me. And I thank you, God, that regardless of where we're reading, there's always things that you want to show us, always things you want to make applicable to our lives. And so we just want you to know tonight, Lord, that we are just open to that. We are open to you speaking. We're open to your leading and your direction. And we just ask your Holy Spirit now to come and to just feed us from the word in Jesus' name. Amen. And you remember that um, Amaziah was, was the last king we read about. He has just been killed. And uh, verse 1 of chapter 26 says, Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built, he built Elath, which was near Edom, and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. So one of the first things that we find Uzziah doing is he went and took some land back from the Edomites and, and uh, restored it to Judah. And uh, that, of course, was after his father passed away. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years, really a long, long reign, um, in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Remember we talked about Amaziah last week, that he really started out well. He started out, man, here's a guy that's going to hit a home run for God. You know, he just started out and, and was just on track and was on fire, and, and yet somewhere later in life, you know, things went south for him. Um, but again, he, you know, he's doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Verse uh, 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And I... And, and there's a, a, a phrase here. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That is one of what that is one of those those key phrases, those key verses that I use all the time. In fact, you know when we when we give gifts to our graduates and we usually give them, you know, a Bible or we give them, you know, a, a Christian book, I always write that in the cover. Okay? That last phrase. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Because there's a truth there. If you will seek the Lord, if you seek first the kingdom of God, is the way Jesus said, you know, you seek first God's kingdom, all these other things are going to be added to you. You're going to have everything you need. God is going to direct your life. God is going to meet your need. God is going to supply your need. God is going to bless you if you put him first. And what we read about, um, about Uzziah here is that, that he just really did that. He sought the Lord, and as long as he was seeking the Lord, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built the cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. Okay, so now he's going into the land of the Philistines. He's actually taking land away from them. And right in their own land, he is building some strong cities that, that um, you know, will keep those people in check and, uh, and give his people advantage. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal, and against the Meunites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. 
And so again, he's seeking God. God is prospering him. God is blessing him. God is expanding his territory. And God is giving him incredible strength. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Okay, here's a guy who just, he loved to see things grow. He loved the whole idea of, of having land that, that is under cultivation, having, um, you know, vineyards and farms. And, and he was just one of these guys that, you know, the kind of guy that would go out to the vineyard or go out to the farm and just take some of the dirt and sniff it. You know, this is, ah, you know, that kind of a guy. Just love that stuff. Okay. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies, according to the number on their roll as prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Maasiah, the officer, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. And just so you have an idea of what kind of army this guy's got going. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,000. 600. So we had 2,600 officers, and under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. So they are defeating all the enemies around them, not only because God is with them, which is the main key, but also because God has just given him these mighty men and these guys that have mighty power. And, and you've got to catch the innovation here. Look at, at verse 14. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. Okay, so he's equipping these guys with all kinds of armor, so it's not just a matter of them you know, going out to battle, but they are protected when they're out in battle. They have armor, they have shields, they have everything they could need. need. They have the, the spears and helmets and, and armor and bows, and, you, and you're catching the, the, the long-range, the short-range weaponry that they've got. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones, okay? So he comes up with this catapult system. And on the, on the towers, they are able to hurl stones. They are able to shoot numerous arrows at the same time. So he's just kind of let these guys go as far as their inventive ability and, and their innovation. And these guys are coming up with these. Hey, I've got this great idea. And the king said, go for it. And they're coming up. Okay, look, I can shoot 300 arrows at one time. Go for it. Build that thing for me, man. And put it in one of the towers. And so we've got all this invention going on. We've got all this prosperity going on. We've got all this, um, th this expansion going on going on. So you see all these wonderful things are happening. And I got to take you back to the verse. What the verse say? As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper, but not just in one area. Okay, sometimes we think, well, God wants to bless me in one area. No, God wants to bless you in multiple areas. You know, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and he talked about out of their innermost being will flow rivers. You ever notice that's plural? Not just a river but rivers of living water. And when you think in, in those terms, when you think of rivers of living water, it's not just one gigantic river, okay? 
but rivers plural, which means they're going in different directions. And God's plan for you is that he would just wouldn't bless you in the area of your occupation, or he wouldn't just bless you in the area of your family, or he wouldn't just bless you in the area of your, of your spiritual life or of, of you know, spiritual giftings, but his will is to bless you in every way. And isn't that what we're seeing right here under Uzziah? That God is blessing in incredible ways. We've got this, these guys inventing things. We've got uh, territory being taken. We've got other people are just sending him money, saying, hey, please don't attack our land. Here, we'll pay you tax. Okay? And they're sending money to him, and there's all this incredible stuff going on here because God is blessing him in multiple ways. And realize that God doesn't just want to bless you in one way, and yet usually when we pray, we're praying about this one area, right? We're saying, God, we just want you to just do this for us, or you know, we just want you to bring peace in our family, God, or we just you know, want you to just open uh, you know, a door where I can get a better job, or I can get a raise, or the money can go farther, or, or you can just you know, bless us in this way. And God's saying, there are so many ways I want to bless you. Okay? There's so many different things that I want to do with you and so many different ways that I want to expand you and use you. And that's what we're seeing going on here. Okay, they, They've got these, these devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers, on the corners. They, they can shoot arrows, plural. They enlarge stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped, and I hate the next word, till. He was marvelously helped until he became strong. And there's always a temptation, regardless of, of how much God blesses you, to reach a point where it's like, okay, God, I can handle it now. You know, God, you've just blessed me so much, I think I've got it from here. So if you'll just scoot over, I'll take the steering wheel, and, and I'll kind of guide this thing. Look at verse 16. Uh, these horrific words. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. I don't know what got into this guy. Outside the fact that when he was strong, his heart became lifted up. And his heart, in essence, said, I can do no wrong. I am so blessed by God. I am so good that I can just do no wrong. And, you know, there's one area that I'm just, I, I, I'm not doing right now. I mean, I'm, I'm out there, you know, smelling the dirt, and I'm out there, you know, overseeing all of this and, and seeing those wells that are dug out in the wilderness, and we've got, we got areas out there that are just nothing but desert, and now they're just in, in bloom because we're, we, you know, we dug all these wells, and we're irrigating all those wells, and all our flocks are full, and, and, and have plenty of water to drink and plenty of vegetation to munch on, and, man, every... There's only one area in which I'm not number one. And that's the area of the priesthood. And so I'm thinking, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to offer some incense. I mean, after all, God's blessing me. And God's blessing and prospering everything I do. So this is the next thing for me to do. So, verse 17, so Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. 
you shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, besides the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. So they're not just not a matter of them saying, you need to get out of here now. But he said, I need to get out of here now. Okay? And verse 21 tells us, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house judging the people of the land. Now, Jotham kind of steps up here, and, and Jotham um, becomes co-king because the king, of course, can't go into the palace. He can't go to a, a judgment place. He can't, you know, be around anyone because the, the law of leprosy was you are not allowed to have contact with anyone. So now here he is, this incredibly popular king, this incredibly prosperous king, this king who just had everything going for him, and just all of a sudden, somewhere in his mind, thought that the rules that apply to everyone else don't apply to him. And really, if you think about it, that's the sign that your heart has gotten lifted up. When your heart has gotten lifted up, what's right for you, you judge as being wrong for everyone else. Okay? So when our heart becomes lifted up, we are the exception to the rule. If someone else was doing what we were doing, we'd say they're wrong, but we're doing it we can't be wrong. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have people talk to me and, and they talk to me about how, you know, they're involved in the sin and the sin they're involved in, God is just kind of overlooking for them. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, God understands my situation and, and you know, he understands that, that, you know, I need a little more money than than what I get paid to make it. So, you know, he really doesn't mind that I pilfer a little bit of money, you know, and, and or, you know, you know, God understands that I'm, you know, kind of, you know, really have a lot of desires, and so I can't control myself, and I just kind of, you know, go after and, you know, sleep with everybody I meet, and I just can't help it, you know, I'm just that way, and, and God blesses me anyway, you know, and, and I, I, just, I, I remember when Carmel and I were first traveling and and we were at a we were at a truck stop in Oklahoma and just out of Oklahoma City and um, and it was a truck stop where you know you you, you know we were going to spend the night there in our in our travel trailer because we were evangelists at that time and and so I uh, you know we, we stopped and and man I mean it's like we stopped at like you know 10 o'clock at night and and so you know Carmel got in and, and I noticed that these girls were out flagging down every trucker that came in you know and so, you know, I had to check to make sure, you know, tires were okay and everything was, was fine in the trailer. So I, you know, before I went in, I, I just walked, took a trip around the trailer and, and uh, this girl came up and she said, you want a date tonight? And I said, no, you know, I, I, I'm a pastor and I said, I'm a, I'm a minister and I, uh, you know, I'm with my wife and, and, you know, what's going on with you? And she said, well, you know, God understands this situation. God understands that I need money and, and I just ask him to watch over me and my kids. And I remember looking at her thinking, how is God going to bless this? You know, God's not going to bless this. Well, well, God, you know, I 
this is the easiest work I can do, you know? And so I, I'm just doing it. And, and, you know, I'm just asking God to watch over me. And it's like, here you are doing sin and yet just asking God's blessing. And that, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing of our heart being lifted up. When our hearts are lifted up, what are they lifted up above? They're lifted up above everyone else, right? Isn't that what pride does? Pride lifts you up above everyone else. You're just a little bit better than everyone else. And did I ever share with you, uh, man, it's a couple months ago, you know, God just deals with me about different things at different times. And, and uh, you know, I'm reading the Word, and, and, and there's something about pride that jumps off the page at me. And I, I said, wow, Lord, that's, that's really interesting. You know, that, 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 I can't remember exactly what scripture it was, but it was, it was talking about pride. And I said, you know, God, how, how, do we, how do we measure pride? You know, because, and, and I, the, the example that came to my mind was, you know, if, if somebody has a voice like Celine Dion, okay, she has to know her voice is good. You know, they're paying her millions of dollars to sing. Okay? Her, her albums are selling millions of albums. And you have to know that you're good. Does that make you prideful? I mean, if, if you have a talent, I, I think of you know, people that can paint or people that can you know, play instruments. And, and you know, I, I think of those people that are just incredibly talented in one area or another. And it's like, okay, God, is, is, is that pride because they're so good? I mean, how, how could you not know you were good? I mean, if you opened your mouth and something came out like, like the notes that, that Celine Dion hits, wouldn't you kind of say, wow, I got a good voice, you know? And, and if you've developed that, that gift and it's, it's a quality gift that, that you have, I mean, how can you not know that, wow, that, that's, that's a special gift? And I said, so God, is, is that, you know, is that pride? And what the Lord really spoke to me about, let me just share this with you. I don't think I shared this with you guys before. But what God really showed me in that is knowing that maybe you're good at something isn't pride. It's the way you view other people that becomes prideful. So if you have a voice like Celine Dion and you look at somebody else and you say, boy, they're not near as good as I am. That's the point. That's pride. Pride isn't so much you recognizing that God has gifted you or God has given you an ability or that God has opened a door for you or that God has given you favor. That's not pride. Pride happens when you start looking down your nose at everyone else. Look at Uzziah here. When did, when did his heart get lifted up? When did we recognize his heart getting lifted up? When he became furious at the priests. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to forbid me from doing this? Okay? The heart gets lifted up, and we recognize pride by the way we view other people. So anytime you're lifted up, you're looking down your nose at other people. You're not saying, wow, they're really talented too. They've got a great gift. Or, wow, that's, that's wonderful the way God is using them. No, you look at them and you say, God uses me in a greater way. God gives me greater thoughts. God has given me a greater gift. That's the pride. The pride isn't so much, in, and because, you know, if God has really gifted you and really opened doors for you, I mean, you're, you're incredibly grateful for that, but you're not prideful because you recognize that. You're prideful when your heart gets lifted up, and because your heart is lifted up, your heart is higher than everybody else's. You're better than everybody else, and you're doing this thing. Okay. 
nobody's quite as good as me. Okay. You're looking down your nose at everyone. Anyway, thought for the night. Okay. And so he's, verse 21 told us, you know, he's living in this isolated house. He's a leper until the day of his death. Uh, Jothan, his son, is, is um, you know, pretty much stepping in and, and co-reigning with him. Now, the, the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, from the first to last, the prophet Isaiah and the son of, of Amos wrote, and Amos wrote. And, and you'll know that there's, you know, in, in fact, in the sixth chapter, I believe it is, um, that it, that chapter begins with, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And, and Isaiah had this incredible vision of God. And, and it's rather interesting that, that he mentions it, that it was in the year that Uzziah died. It was when Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Because even though Uzziah was, was a leper, the, the last years of his life, they still recognized incredible favor upon the nation. And they still recognized that God had blessed them incredibly. And, and Uzziah was really, um, really out there as far as leading the nation spiritually and leading the nation into prosperity. And so they had really hoped that, that this would be a new era. And so it's kind of interesting that, that I, that Isaiah had this vision of God, kind of like God saying, get your eyes off of, of what Uzziah can do and get your eyes back on what I can do. Uh, verse 23, so Uzziah rested with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers. And actually the word with there is near. Uh, near his fathers in the field of burial which belonged to the kings for they said he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. And so right there, he wasn't buried in the tombs of the kings, but he was buried in a field near the tombs of the kings, in a field that was uh, part of what was owned by the, the cemetery of the kings. But because he was a leper, even in his death, he was not honored. Okay? And that's important for us to realize, that even as, you're, even as king, when his heart became lifted up, he could no longer receive the honor as the king. And even in his death, because he died a leper, he was not allowed to be buried with the kings. Chapter 27, verse 1. Then Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Ding, 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 ding. The son learned something here, okay? Don't repeat the mistakes your parents make, okay? You think, oh, you know, that, it's, just, it's in our blood. No, it's not, okay? And right here, we, we read Jotham, never trespassed in the area that his father trespassed in because he saw what happened to dad, and when it came to, to burning incense, at the incense of altar or putting it in a censer, he never even touched that stuff, okay? But still, the people acted corruptly. So although he was king and he should have, you know, led in the area of leadership, this is the area that, that he, he let down in, okay? He was, he was a, a good man and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but what he did, what he did in, in the sight of the Lord, that which was right, was for him personally. He didn't impose it on everybody else. And he really wasn't a leader because of that, because he didn't step up. And that's why the people acted corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. 
Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forests he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver. We're talking three and a half tons of silver. Okay, they paid him off. 10,000 cores of wheat. Now he's running, okay, what's a core of wheat? Well, for those of you that are farmers and you know bushels, that's 62,000 bushels of wheat, 62,000 bushels of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So they, you know, he defeated them. So they're now giving this tribute to him for these years. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now here's another wonderful thought, okay? Wonderful statement that's made here. He just didn't go and do things because he thought it was right. But he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. In other words, he went to God and said, what is it you want me to do? Okay? Not, I'm going to go take those people of Ammon out. I'm going to go, you know, expand fortresses and towers over here. But God, I want to do what you want me to do, and I want you to direct me. So he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Uh, Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So now we have the next generation, very short chapter, nine verses, that one. Um, Chapter 28, verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. And this, again, is one of the areas in which we see... um, Jothan falling short, right? Because we read that the people acted corruptly. So although he was following after the Lord, he was asking God for direction. He was asking God for his plans. Not only didn't he lead the nation in the area of morality and in the area of spirituality and in the area that was right, but obviously he didn't have an impact on his kids, okay? Because now we have a son who's not doing anything that's right in the sight of the Lord as David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made molded image to Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he burned his children in the fire. He offered his children as burnt offerings, his own kids, okay? How can we go as far as we've gone? We've gone from Uzziah to Jotham, and now we're at Ahaz, and look how quickly we have totally forsaken the Lord. And can I just point out, third generation is always dangerous, Okay? There's something about the third generation of Christians that's really dangerous. Now, let me explain. Okay? The first generation are mom and dad. Okay? Mom and dad have been living for the devil, and God saves them. Okay? They have kids, and those kids recognize, man, there's been a change in mom and dad. Okay? God has done something incredible in mom and dad. Look at their lives. They've changed. Okay? So all of a sudden, mom and dad are going to church. These kids are going to church. It's like, this is cool. Man, these are not the parents that I had for the last 10 years, okay? These parents are amazing, okay? Now, you understand, mom and dad grow up. These kids, you know, they've, they've, they've been out there a little bit, but they really saw the transformation in mom and dad, right? So they grow up in church, and then they have kids. The third generation, and, and I've got to tell you, and, and 
you know, this is my observation, and I'm not giving any scripture to back this up, okay? But, but in every church I've ever pastored, the worst people in the church were the grandkids of the sinners that got saved because they were raised by their parents in church. They learned the rules from day one. They learned the ropes. They learned the lingo, and nothing got into their hearts. Now, I'm not saying every third generation is lost, but somehow we've lost touch with God's power to save and to transform a life. And grandma and grandpa are really old, or they're gone, and it's kind of like now they are the, the 30s and 40s in church, and for them, it's all a game. For them, it's all about politics. It's all about power. It's all about their, you know, their name and, and them being somebody special. And when I read this, third generation just jumps out to me, okay? Here we have Ahaz, the third generation, right? We had Uzziah, really got serious with God, really got serious about seeking the Lord. And as long as he was seeking the Lord, God prospered him. His son came alongside of him even after dad had failed. And, of course, he's seeing dad fail, okay? And he's seeing those last years of, of dad's life, him being a leper. And he actually co-reigned with his dad for the last decade. Okay, and, and so then he comes up and, and, you know, he reigns for an extended period of time. He dies, and next comes the son. And the son is a heathen, okay? And he burns, his in, he burns his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord God had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So he is, he is burning incense. He is worshiping. He is sacrificing to all these false gods, these gods that were in the land that, that God, when he brought the Israelites in to the promised land, he said, you drive them out, and don't you even mention the names of their gods. Don't even, don't even let the, the names of their gods come across your lips, okay? Don't say anything about them. Just get rid of them. Cut down their, their groves. Knock over their idols. Crush it all. Destroy it all. Do away with all their altars. Well, now we have a revival in, in paganism, okay? Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the king of Syria. Now, this is just the opposite of what we've been reading, right? Because prior to this, his dad, his grandpa, Man, they were expanding the Torah territory. They were, they were taking these other lands. These other lands were paying tribute to them. But God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Okay? Now, remember, we're seeing the, the, the kingdom expanding, and, and they're never, never being defeated. They're just taking over all these other territories and all these other lands. Well, look what happens now. Because they have forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, they are now being defeated, even valiant men. There were 120,000 valiant men who were killed. Now, so we had the nation of Syria come down, and they defeated, defeated Judah. They carried away captives. Okay? Then we have the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes. And they recognize the weakness of Judah, and they come down there, and they are the ones that are responsible for the slaughter of, of 120,000 men in Judah. Zikri, look at verse 7. A mighty man of Ephraim killed Messiah, the king's son, Azriakim, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, 
who was second to the king. So this one guy, Zikri, comes down and he takes out the king's son. He takes out the, the officer over the house, the one who's, who's head over the palace. And he, takes over, he kills Elkanah, who is the, the second in command, uh, just under the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters, and they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. And Samaria, of course, was the capital of the northern kingdom. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves? But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Wow! What a statement! Okay? And, and this, you know, one of the things that, that we came across when we were doing the study through the book of, of Proverbs was that we cannot rejoice when our enemies are in trouble, okay? So if God is bringing judgment upon someone for their, for their actions and you know they're wrong and you know that whatever they get they deserve, you cannot stand there and clap. Yeah. Because God will see that in your heart, and God will cease his judgment there and bring it over here. And this is exactly what Oded approaches these people about. It, you, you recognize that, that God has been, been angry with Judah because of their, of their rebellion against him, because of them serving all these other gods, and therefore God has weakened them, but you have gone in a rage down there, and you have killed all these people. Not only have you slaughtered all these people, but now you brought back your relatives, and you're going to make them perpetual slaves. These sons and these daughters and these wives are now going to be your slaves. I don't think so. I don't think God is going to be pleased with that. In fact, the wrath that was upon them, you just brought it upon yourselves. Verse 12, Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Jehanan, Bechariah, the son of Mishalmoth, Zechariah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives here, for we have already offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. They just dropped it all, okay? They said, fine. You know, here they've carried away 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. They have 200,000 captives. That's about 200,000 people? That's a lot of people. And they come to Samaria, and these leaders step up after the prophet speaks, and they said, uh-uh, you are not bringing one of those people into the city. And so... The response of the, of the army, fine. They let go of everybody. They just dropped the spoil. They dropped the things they had, they had gathered there, and they just went home. Then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, 
dressed them and gave them sandals. See how they humiliated when they brought them here? They they'd taken away their shoes from them. So this, this march that they had to do was, was without any shoes. Many of them, the march they had to do was without any clothes at all. Okay? So they dressed them, they gave them sandals, they gave them food and drink and anointed them, and they let the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. You gotta love obedience. You gotta love the obedience here. Okay? That when that prophet spoke, and you know the northern kingdom wasn't the most godly kingdom. In fact, they, they were always a little further out than the southern kingdom. But when, uh, when Ahaz was king over the southern kingdom, they, they became worse than, than the northern kingdom. And yet, when this word of the Lord came, they believed it and they obeyed it. Okay? God spoke. They responded. They said, fine, we're, we're clothing these people. We're feeding them. We're anointing any wounds that they have. And then we are taking them back, and we're dropping them off. So these 200,000 people that they made march up, the feeble ones are riding on donkeys going back because these guys realize we have offended God. Okay, By our actions, by the actions of our army, we have brought the wrath of God upon ourselves, and we're going to make this right. And that's, that's so it's so important when we've messed up to not just say, God, I'm sorry, but to make it right. And I talk, I, I talk to people about forgiveness a lot, okay? And when it comes to forgiveness, you understand there's some steps to forgiveness. And, and the first step, if you're an offended person, is you have to forgive that person from your heart, okay? You forgive them from your heart. Why do I have to forgive them? Because that protects my heart, okay? Because if I don't forgive them, my heart gets infected with bitterness, Okay? And whether they ever apologize to me or not, I have forgiven them. When Jesus is being crucified, when Stephen's being stoned, lay not the sin to their charge. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Did God look at them and say, you're right, I forgive you guys. All, you crowd that asked for Jesus' death and, and Jesus' blood, you, you that said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children, I forgive you for that. It's no big deal. Uh-uh. Okay? Then why did Jesus say that? Why did Stephen say that? Because that kept their heart pure. Forgiveness does something to your heart. Unforgiveness does something horrific to your heart, but forgiveness keeps your heart clean. It keeps your heart free from bitterness. It keeps you being the person you need to be, okay? That does not mean that you're going to accept that person into your life or into your family or into your home. You're not going to turn your back on them because they stabbed you in the back. You're not going to give them that opportunity again because they haven't changed. How do you know they haven't changed? Because they never came and apologized, and not only did they never come and apologize, they never made it right. Okay? And it's one thing, if I steal a car, and I come to church, and I repent, and I say, oh God, forgive me for my sin, I don't get to keep the car. I not only have to give the car back to the person I stole the car from, but I have to go turn myself in at the police station and say, I'm guilty of grand theft auto, and I'm going to take whatever consequences. That's the process of making it right. Okay? And if I make it right, then that builds the bridge of trust. Because the moment that I did something wrong and hurt you, I torched the bridge. You don't trust me, and I don't deserve to be trusted. But if I'm going to rebuild that bridge of trust, the bridge of trust is the last thing. The first thing that has to take place is you've got to forgive me from your heart. And, that, and I have to come to you and say, I was wrong, and I am sorry. And I am going to do whatever I can do to make this right. 
and I realize that you're not going to trust me for a week or for a month or for a year or for five years or for ten years because I'm the one that burned the bridge. And anytime anyone says to you, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you forgive me? Because you burnt the bridge down. And it took years for us to build that bridge. You torched it, and you expect me to swim across the river now. No, we're going to rebuild the bridge of trust, and there's nothing wrong with that. If somebody steals $20 from you, and they come back to you, and they give that $20 back to you, and they say, I'm sorry, I was so wrong, and you leave your wallet out again, you're an idiot. Okay? Keep your wallet in your pocket until you know, after time, that you can trust them. Okay? And people don't realize that, man, when you torch that bridge of trust, and then you look down your nose at somebody and say, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you forgive me? How can I forgive you? You know, forgiveness is, has already been done. I did it in my heart to keep my heart pure, okay? And, and our relationship has been reconciled because you came and apologized, and you've made it right, okay? But trust is going to take a while to rebuild. And some people beat themselves up because, well, I just, you know, it's been two months, and I can't trust them. That's okay. You've forgiven them. They've, they've apologized. You've made it right, which means you have been reconciled to your brother, okay? You're not as close right now as you were, but that will come with time. If they're sincere, it'll come with time. But you've done what you were supposed to do, and they've done what they were supposed to do. And that's what we see here, okay? We see the prophet speaking and these people doing what's right, okay? Not just saying, yeah, yeah we were wrong to do that. They brought those people back. They bandaged them up. They gave them shoes. They gave them clothes. How can these people be walking out here naked? You know, they, they you know, restored their dignity to them. They restored them back to their families and, and said, we want, to be, we want to be good here. We want to do what's right. Okay? Verse 16, at the same time, uh, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. Here's an idiot. This guy's just such an idiot. Okay? So he's hit 200,000 people have been carried away. hundred. What, 120,000 of his valiant men have all been killed, okay? He's been out there burning his sons to, to Molech, and, and here he's thinking, okay, I've, I've got it figured out now. I'm going to hire the king of Syria, and the king of Syria is going to come and defend me, okay? So at the same time, same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Syria, Syria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. So, okay, we're going through this again. The people of Edom are coming, taking more captives away. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south and the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedaroth, Succoth with its villages, Timnah with its villages, Gimzo, not Gizmo, but Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord had brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not help him. So he sent to the Assyrians said, I need your help. He comes over and, and he is distressing him as well. And he's not helping him fight against anybody. For Ahaz took part of the treasure from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help them. Thank you very much. Thanks for sending the money. Appreciate it. Don't look for my armies to show up. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. That's an interesting, isn't that last sentence an interesting statement? Okay? So, 
even during his time of distress, it didn't draw him to repentance. It drove him further from God. His heart became harder, and he went further after these false gods. And as the writer says, yeah, that's this King Ahaz. That's the one. That's the one that we always point to and we always remember. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. There's some real good logic, okay? Because, these, because the Syrians came and attacked them and defeated them, he decided, well, let's serve their God because their God made them bigger than us and stronger than us, and maybe their God will help us. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. So Ahaz gathered all the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah he made high places um, to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, indeed they are written in the books the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, thank God, Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And next week we'll learn about Hezekiah, who is actually a really good guy, okay, and leads the nation in, a, in another direction. Me. Okay. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. And God, just so many things that, that just hit us tonight as we're reading through your word and, and, and things that just touch our hearts and break our hearts. God, as we see your people and, and especially these leaders, God, who, who is, as you blessed them and as you prospered them, they just got all puffed up and they got all prideful and it was all about them and they thought they could do no wrong and they thought all the rules didn't apply to them. And they just kept getting further and further in, in the hole. And yet, Lord, in the midst of that, we, we learned some obedience. God, the, the, the more heathen nation of, of Israel to the north, we find them being more, more faithful to you than, than the southern kingdom. And, Lord, we know that in all of our lives we, we mess up, we fail. But help us to not get puffed up about it. Help us not to cover our sin because your word talks about the fact that those who cover their sin will not prosper. They will not be blessed. But those who confess and forsake, you will bless. And God, if we don't learn any other lesson from from these chapters than that, then that was a lesson we need to learn. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.